that's something to be said for faithfulness. The Bible says a faithful man shall abound with blessings. And uh, if there, we ought to be faithful uh, week in and week out, year in and year out. But how much more should we be faithful uh, during Christmas time, the time when it's all about, it should be all about Christ anyway. And so uh, thank you for your attendance this morning. Ephesians chapter 2 in your Bible. Did I tell you that? Did I say Ephesians chapter 2? Short-term memory. But anyway, <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, once you find it, if you'll stand with me, please, for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter number 2. And how many of you have uh, plans to be out of town at some point over the Christmas holidays? Anyone like that? Okay, many of you, no doubt about it. And uh, just uh, let's be sure to pray for one another. And uh, I love the Sunday school lesson this morning about Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And one of the things that we're commanded to do is to love one another. Jesus said, these things uh, I command you, that you love one another. Well, sometimes that just gets overlooked. And uh, well, we certainly ought to do that uh, all year long and especially here during the Christmas season. Ephesians chapter 2, and uh, if you'll look at verse number 8 with me, very familiar passage. And we'll read down through verse number 13. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse number 8, and reading down through verse number 13. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Notice verse 10, for we are his, notice the word workmanship, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Notice verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus are ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. I want to preach to you this morning on this subject, God's construction project. God's construction project. Notice verse number 10. The Bible says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And let's pray together. Our Father, I pray that you'd bless the reading of your word and the preaching of your word. I pray that you'd uh, sink it deep into our hearts. And may we not only learn, may we not only meditate upon its truth, but may we grow, may we apply it to our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. One of my least favorite things to do is to sit in traffic. How many of you are with me right there? And uh, I know that... <clears throat> Uh, living in the metro Detroit area, we don't know anything about traffic, right? <laughs> but uh, one of my least favorite things to do is to sit in traffic. And this uh, morning in the Sunday school lesson, we talked a little bit about patience and having patience. Uh, you know, when I'm in the car, uh, I want to get where I'm going. I, I have a preacher friend of mine who got pulled over for speeding one time, and the police officer said, uh, Sir, do you know why I pulled you? And he said, uh, I think I do, but I don't want to say. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and he said, uh, you were kind of going a little fast. You were going 65 in a 55-mile-per-hour zone. And, uh, sir, d d is there a reason why? He said, sir, I'm trying to get the world safe. It's hard to do that going 55 miles an hour. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway. 
there. There we go. And uh, he says, officer, it's really hard to do that when you're only going 55 miles an hour. And, uh, but I, uh, I'm a little bit imp impatient when it comes to traveling and so forth. I want to get to where I'm going. The other day we were coming back from the, uh, the trip over in Indiana and uh, we were on Interstate 94 and there was a lot of road construction going on right there in Jackson uh, coming back this way and we sat there 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 a little longer and uh, it, it probably wasn't as long as it seemed to be but being not as patient as I should be behind the wheel it seemed like it was an hour or two it's probably legitimately only 20 to 30 minutes but uh, but anyway we got through that uh, traffic zone and uh, there was a road sign as we kind of got out of it and it said this thank you for your patience <laughs> thank you for your patience and I thought, thank me. <laughs> I don't have any of that. I want to get to where I'm going. And, uh, you know, most of us have not arrived in the area of patience. But this morning, I want to testify and say we serve a very patient God. We serve a very long-suffering God. And I'm glad that He is long-suffering because if He were not long-suffering, if He were not so patient with me and you, we'd be in trouble. We wouldn't be here this morning, I'll promise you that. He's a very, very patient God. If you look at the times during the uh, history of the nation of Israel, you see where God was very patient with His people. I think we referenced it briefly on Wednesday night when we, you know, where uh, you, uh, you read where Moses many times got fed up with the people. And at those times where Moses was fed up, God was patient. And in those times where God was fed up with his people, Moses went to God and interceded on behalf of his people to keep God's hand of judgment from falling upon them. And then you read about other times during the, uh, during the, uh, the time of the prophets, Jeremiah and Ezekiel and, and so on, many of those prophets who God sent to the nation of Israel to warn them to say, hey, if you don't get right, I'm going to come down there and I'm going to discipline you. I am going to spank you, so to speak. And uh, I am going to have to bring judgment upon you if you don't get right. And, uh, but how long did God suffer with his people? How long did God have, did he have patience with his people before that? You think about the time before the flood. In, in uh, Genesis chapter 6, we read, the Bible says that uh, where God said, My spirit shall not always strive uh, with man. God was very patient even during that time before he finally brought the worldwide catastrophic flood. And Noah was a preacher of righteousness for 120 years and preaching and saying, you know what, God's going to destroy the world. You need to get on this boat that I'm building because that's the only way of salvation. And of course, that's a wonderful picture of Christ himself. But God's a very patient God. He's a very patient God. And here in Ephesians chapter 2, we read the, uh, uh, this chapter, and Paul is writing a God-inspired letter to the church at Ephesus. And in the first eight verses of chapter 2, he reminds these people about the fact that salvation is by God's grace, and it is accessed through faith in Jesus Christ and that alone. We read in verse number 8, For by grace are you saved uh, through what? Through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the what? Gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. He reminds them that salvation is not, is not accessed by our works. By our works. No, salvation is not accessed by good deeds. It's not accessed by charitable giving. 
you know, and I'm not against that at all. I think it's a wonderful thing if you're able to, to help uh, the needy. And uh, there's a lot of charitable organizations uh, that have a special drive on, especially this time of year. You have the, the uh, Salvation, Salvation Army Red Kettle outside of many department stores and so forth and, and other methods to help the, uh, help the needy during uh, the Christmas season. And those are all admirable and good things and commendable, but you don't get to heaven by charitable giving. You don't get to heaven by doing good things. You don't get to heaven by volunteering time to serve the community. You don't get to heaven by being a good citizen. You don't get to heaven by involvement in humanitarian efforts. And all of these, again, they're fine and well, but they do not get us one inch closer to heaven than what we already are. And here Paul, in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, he starts out by reminding, by the way, he's writing this letter to church people. This letter was written to a church in the city of Ephesus, and he said, let me remind you that you're saved not by works, but by grace. You're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Truth is, you can do all of the things we just talked about and still burn in a lake of fire called hell for eternity. Good works will not absolve or negate my sin debt. If good works could save us, then Jesus coming uh, 2,000 years ago as a baby in Bethlehem's manger, it was for nothing. If I could be saved by works, think about it, then why did Jesus come and do all that he did? Why is it that he had to come and bleed and die and suffer on a cross and, and endure the pangs of, of agony and death and hell for my sake? Why did he have to do that if if it were possible to earn your way to heaven. Christmas would have no meaning. Your salvation would be totally up to you and how many good works you could stack up in an effort to impress a holy and righteous God, by the way, a holy and righteous God whose eternal justice can only be satisfied by the death of the guilty. He said, the, the soul that sinneth it shall surely die. Look, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the truth of the gospel is simply this. The guilty has to die. That's why Jesus had to come. That's why Jesus had to suffer. That's why he had to go to Calvary. That's why he had to, to die as a substitute for my sin debt. Why? Because my sin demands a punishment to satisfy the justice of a holy God. The reality is good works never have and never will earn a man a ticket to heaven. If you're here this morning and you're under the impression that you have to somehow earn God's favor in order to get to heaven, you're mistaken. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can do all the good works you want to do. You can stack up the good works as high as this ceiling in this auditorium, but that will not, that will not negate the fact that you have a sin debt that must be paid. Must be paid. And that's why good works won't help you in the day of judgment. No, Jesus Christ paid that sin debt for you. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us, Titus chapter number three. And so the Lord knew that if, we, if there was some way we could earn salvation, he said it right there in verse nine. He said, not of works, lest any man should boast. Lest any man should boast. The Lord knew that if there was some way we could earn salvation, we'd walk around bragging about how good we were to get there. But the truth is, there'll be no bragging in heaven about our goodness. There'll be no bragging in heaven about our merits. There'll be no bragging in heaven about our goodness, only about his goodness. And in verse number 10, Paul, 
he changes gears here. He, he changes a, a direction. And look, notice with me verse 10. It's our text verse and the premise of the message this morning. In verse 10, he says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, I want you to see something this morning. This is the only time the word workmanship appears in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, you read the word workmanship as it relates. Most, most of the times you read the word, the context of workmanship is talking uh, about the, uh, uh, the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and they were working on the uh, furnishings for the Old Testament tabernacle and a group of men who were very expert in their field of, of uh carpentry or in, in all kinds of uh, uh, working with their hands and, and making things and so forth. And uh, it, it's used in that context. But only one time do you see the word workmanship in the New Testament. And it's not talking about man's work. It's talking about God's work. God's construction project, if you will. God's work zone, if you will. God's hard hat area, if you will. And he's talking there about those of us who have been saved. He's referring to those of us who name the name of Jesus Christ, who uh, know for sure that we're going to heaven. We, uh, we can, uh, uh, we, our testimony is that Jesus has saved us, forgiven us of our sins, our names are written in heaven and so forth. And God's people, as God's people, we are not self-made, we're God-made. We're God-made. The word workmanship in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 10, it's the, it's the connotation of the word product. We are God's product. We are we're the, uh, uh, your life and my life as God's people, as far as our life here on earth, we are a work in progress, so to speak. We are coming off of God's assembly line, if you will. And I want to share with you just three thoughts about this whole idea of God's construction zone, God's construction project. First of all, let me say this. We are an eternally finished product. We are an eternally finished product. The Bible says, look at it with me, if you will, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 10, for we are his workmanship. Notice the next phrase, created in Christ Jesus. Created in Christ Jesus. In Genesis chapter 1, we read about the creation of the universe. Now follow, follow this very carefully, if you will. In Genesis chapter 1 and following, we read about the creation of the universe. Now, the creation of the universe, if you believe the Bible, and by the way, I believe the Bible. I believe that when God said that the earth was made in six 24-hour periods, that's exactly what it meant. That's exactly what he said. He said what he meant, meant what he said. And so, in the Genesis account of creation, we read that the creation of the universe was not made by an evolutionary process that took billions of years. No, the creation that we enjoy today, God said the words. If you read Genesis chapter 1, you find several phrases that recur over and over again. And it says in day 1, the Bible says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. There, hey, it was as simple as that. It didn't evolve over time. No, God said it. There it was. And then there's another phrase that, that, uh, that goes like this. And it was so. God said, let there be. And then you read on a little bit further, and it says, and it was so. And then you read on a little bit further, and it says, and God saw that it was 
good. God saw that it was good. Okay, hey, there's your process right there. God said it. It was so. God said, hey, that's good. Hey, that's good. That happened on day one. It happened on day two. It happened on day three. It happened on day four. It happened on day five. And it happened on day six. And then the Bible says God rested on the seventh day to set an example for the rest of us. But wait a minute. There's your process right there. God said it. It was so. God saw that it was good. Now, follow me carefully. Now, today... The modern man has become so sophisticated that he cannot accept God's creation at face value. We've become so sophisticated in our thinking, and the reality is man is choosing to worship his own logic and his own way of thinking over the simple facts of what God's Word says that we have totally distorted creation. Now, they say it can't be that simple. Oh, yes, it can be that simple because we have a great God who made it so. Now, Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 3, the Bible says this, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Hey, it's just that simple, my friend. God said it, and it was so, and God said, hey, that's good. That's good. Now, with all that in mind, let me go back to our text verse. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 10, the Bible says, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Just as God created the world, the Bible says my new creature in Christ, the new me, that is, since I trusted Christ, we were created in Christ Jesus. Now, follow me carefully. Just as creation was not a process, salvation is not a process. Are you with me? Salvation is not a process. Salvation is the miracle of God that happened to me in a moment of time, the moment that I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I am not in the process of being saved this morning. I'm not trying to work my way to heaven. I'm not trying to uh, turn over a new leaf or, uh, or uh, you know, make some kind of resolution so that God will be pleased with me and eventually turn me into a new... No, no. The Bible says we are His workmanship, but wait a minute. We are eternally a finished product in that I'm saved and that, sa that salvation happened in a moment of time. Now, this morning... I know I'm saved. You can't talk me out of my salvation. You say, preacher, that's, uh, is that cocky? Is that arrogant? No, that's confidence in the Word of God. It would be cocky and arrogant if I thought I could save myself, but I know that that, that ship has done so a long time ago. I can't save myself, and neither can you. But that is a statement of confidence in the Word of God where he said, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. It's a statement of confidence in the Word of God that says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved once and for all. Hey, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. I'm not in the process of being saved. I am saved. And I trust that everybody under the sound of my voice, either you... Either you know that for a fact of your own spiritual condition right now where you can say with calm assurance, I know that I'm saved, Pastor, or the hope is, if you're not there yet, by the time you walk out those doors today, that you can say that. I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. So I am, eternally speaking, I am a finished product. My name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Not written in erasable ink, not written in pencil. Hey, it's not going to be erased. Why? Because I'm, I'm saved once and for all. 
Now, I said number one, we are an eternally finished product. But number two, here's the message. We are a temporary work in progress. Eternally, I'm a finished product. I know I'm saved. I, hey, if I, if I die today, I know I'm going to heaven. Hey, if, if there's a car accident on the way home, I know I'm going to heaven. If, uh, if, uh, uh, if, if a health condition uh, strikes and I have a heart attack and pass in the night, I know I'm going to heaven. I don't, I don't doubt that. Why? Because, I mean, eternally, I'm a finished product. But wait a minute. Number two, we are a temporary work in progress. We are God's construction zone, if you will. We're God's construction project, if you will. As far as the eternal work of salvation, that's done. However, there's another work that is yet in progress in my life and in your life. It doesn't matter if you've been saved for 50 plus years or you've been saved uh, five minutes. How many here who, who would say, Pastor, I've been saved for at least 50 years? Would you raise your hand? Anybody? Oh, wow, many of you. That's a, that's a great testimony. Now, there are folks who've been saved 50 plus years. There's folks who've been saved for less than a week, less than two weeks, less than a month. Now, regardless of how long you have been saved, that's not the issue. The issue is if you're still on this side of eternity, which is all of us, by the way. Okay, just <laughs> uh, I would say raise your hand if you're not on this side of eternity, but that would, that would really spook me out, and I can't afford that right now. But anyway... <clears throat> And uh, <laughs> nudge your partner, make sure they're still breathing, okay? Uh, <clears throat> but uh, whether you've been saved 50 plus years or just a few weeks, guess what? You are a work in progress. I am a work in progress. Salvation is a miraculous work that was accomplished in the moment that we as believing sinners received Christ. However, sanctification is the process of this lifetime on earth. Salvation, the miracle of a moment. Sanctification, process of a lifetime. Now, it is the process in which God wants me to become more like Jesus Christ. That is the end goal of this construction project, okay? Take your Bible, turn over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter number 8, I want you to see this. Familiar verse, many of you, no doubt, could uh, quote it or paraphrase it, but you're familiar with it. But it's the work of sanctification. We are a temporary work in progress down here on this earth. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 29. There are some people who struggle with this verse because of the word predestinate. But they, if you read it in its context, it's not hard to understand at all. Romans chapter 8, verse number 29, the Bible says this. For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, he is not saying there, he's not saying at all that God has predestined some to heaven and some not to go to heaven. That's not what he's saying. That's not, that's not scriptural. That concept is not scriptural. Jesus said that uh, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And many, many other verses that you could quote that, uh, that salvation is for everybody. God has given us a free will. What that verse means is this. For whom he did foreknow. In other words, <laughs> the folks that God knew would be saved, again, he didn't predetermine that they would be saved. He said, he said, for those who are saved, he said, I have predestined those who are saved to be conformed to be like my son, Jesus Christ. 
That's what God wants for us. God wants you to look like Christ. God wants me to look like Christ. God wants me to be in the process of being conformed to the image of his son. The Bible speaks of the church at Antioch. It says that the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. What does it mean? It means they resemble to the outside world, those members at Antioch Baptist Church or whatever thing that church was, they say, hey, you know what? They remind us of Jesus. Those folks down there at the church, they remind me of Jesus Christ. God said, I want you to be, it's my will. I'm predestinating you. I want you. My will is for everyone who is saved to look like, act like, behave like, talk like, have the spirit of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. In other words, God's trying to change me. He's working on me. He's working on you. He's trying to. He wants to. I'm a work in progress. Now, eternally, I'm saved, I'm secure, I'm on my way to heaven. Temporarily, I'm a work in progress. I'm in God's construction zone, if you will. Now, in, in, uh, salvation was the immediate change on the inside. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. In other words, there was a change that happened in me the moment that I got saved internally. I got the divine nature of Christ. The Holy Spirit came inside to live in me. I was, I was regenerated. I was birthed into God's family. So many things, nuances that happened the moment that you got saved. But hey, I was that new creature in Christ. But wait a minute, that internal change happened immediately. Now God's working on us on the outside. God wants to change not just the inside, He wants to change all of us to be conformed to the image of Christ. In Romans chapter 8 and verse number 9, the Bible says this, But ye are not of the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If you don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, that verse tells us, you're not saved. If I have not the Spirit of God, He is none of His. In other words, if you're saved, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you. Now, sanctification is the work that God wants to affect on my actions, my attitude, my speech, my behavior, and yes, my appearance. And, and, and understand, that is a work in progress. That's a work in progress. Uh, why does he want us to do this? Real simple, so we can glorify him. So we can glorify him. I was made to please the Lord. You were made to please the Lord. I was made to glorify God. You were made to glorify God. I was made to bring honor to his name. You were made to bring honor to his name. So how does God go about that? Well, first of all, he cleans us up on the inside. He writes our name in heaven. Uh, when we trust Christ as our Savior, He, uh, he births us into His family, and uh, uh, He makes us that new creature in Christ. But wait a minute, the change doesn't stop there. That's the eternal change that happens in a moment. The temporary change that happens over a period of time is sanctification. God wants us to glorify Him. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Who's He talking to here? People are saved. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. God has given us a mission as his children, and that mission, if you, if you boiled it all down to its lowest common denominator, is simply this. We were made to glorify God and to get others to glorify God. That's why we're here, folks. That's why we're here. 
Now, let me tell you something. You, you say, well, <clears throat> I'm, uh, I, I'm saved, but I don't want anybody to know. I'm an undercover Christian. <laughs> Can I help you? You're not fulfilling your purpose if that's your attitude. Your attitude is to glorify God. Jesus said it right there. He said, let your light so shine before men. We sing a little song with the children every, every now and then. Where, uh, hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, they don't sing it maybe as well as I just did, but <laughs> they do the best they can. <laughs> hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. Why do we need to let it shine? I'll tell you why we need to let it shine. Because we want other people to glorify our God. That's what Jesus said our life's all about. Hey, it's... Uh, uh, <clears throat> Preacher, is it possible to be a child of God and still frequent the bars? Oh, yeah, but you're not a good testimony. Boy, it got quiet in here. Is it possible to, is it possible to be a child of God and have all the filthy habits, uh, of uh, uh, the, the, all the vices and filthy habits? Oh, it's possible to be saved, but hey, your life is more than just about you not going to hell. Your life is about bringing glory to God. And the glory that is brought to God is not just in your salvation, but in your sanctification. In your becoming more like Jesus every day. In your behavior. In your actions. In your spirit. In your attitude. In your speech. Preacher, is it possible to go to heaven and cuss like a sailor? It's possible, but you're going to have to clean it up before you walk through the pearly gates, sir. <laughs> I'm being facetious, but you understand the point there. Hey, people out there in the world, they don't need a Christian who has a, a light that's hidden. The Bible says if our light be hidden, it is hidden to them that are what? Lost. If our light's hidden, it's hidden to those who are lost, who need to see the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, I'm not, adv I'm not an advocate of lifestyle evangelism where we never, we never go tell anybody, but I will say this, your light ought to shine even when you're not talking about the gospel. Your light ought to shine 24-7. 24-7. It's called sanctification. It's called we're in that process. We're in God's construction zone, God's construction project if you will now, statement number three and the last thing i want to share with you this morning is this we said first of all my life <coughs> or uh, uh, we are an eternally finished product number two we are a temporary work in progress and then number three god has ordained us as saved people to live a life of good works look back at our text if you will ephesians chapter 2 verse number 10 ephesians chapter 2 verse number 10 for we are his workmanship Created in Christ Jesus, notice what it says here, unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So far we see that God has done an eternal work in us that is complete. It's called salvation. God wants to do a good work in us in our temporary lives between here and eternity and so that we can bring glory to him. But here in the last part of verse number 10, God tells us that he has a preordained life for those of us who are saved. For those of, Now, follow me carefully. A template, if you will. A pattern to follow. A recipe, if you will. God has taken all of the guesswork out of how we are supposed to live. He's given us a recipe for living, okay? Now, today is my... My mother's 77th birthday. And uh, I mentioned Sunday school. I, I called her. She was on her way out the door. And I said, Mom, I just want to wish you a happy birthday. 
and she said, well, I can't talk now. She said, I'm taking your dad out to church, and there's somebody there to meet us, and so on. I said, I know you can't talk. I said, I just want to wish you a happy birthday. I love you. And uh, <clears throat> when I was a kid, I remember trying to bake my mom a cake. I, was pr- I, I could not have been any more than 9 or 10 years old. And uh, <clears throat> it was either for Mother's Day or for her birthday. I can't remember which, but it was one of them. But since today's her birthday, we'll say it was for her birthday. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, I remember trying to bake my, my mom a cake. And uh, what I did was I, uh, I picked up the box where the cake mix was, and I said uh, I, I read the, the ingredients. And I made some, some blunders, okay? What I did was <clears throat> I left out the ingredients that I didn't like. If it said an ingredient, I say, you know, I don't like that. Well, it didn't make it in my, my concoction, for lack of a better term. And if, if it was something I did like, I put more of it. <laughs> so if it called for a half a cup of sugar, well, uh, guess what? Hey, the more the merrier. I mean, after all, who doesn't like sugar? And, uh, and so, uh, so anyway, I, uh, I got all those ingredients, and I whipped them up together and I turned the oven on 400 degrees or whatever, let it preheat. Now, yeah, I did follow that part of it. And I uh, put that thing in the, in the oven and, and uh, took it out at the exact time that it specified there on the box. But you understand something? That cake didn't quite turn out like I'd hoped it would. Now, my mom was very gracious. She was like, oh, Kevin, that's just so sweet. And, and you know, it, it, it still accomplished the brownie points factor. You know what I'm saying? But that's about all it accomplished. Because otherwise it was horrible. It was nasty, okay? You understand something? God has given us the recipe or the roadmap to successful Christian living. He's given it to us right here. It's his word. It's his word. Uh, It's not a problem-free life, mind you, but it's a victorious life. It's not a trouble-free life but the life that God intended for us to have. And he said in verse number 10, he said, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, okay, salvation, unto good works. Now, the unto good works is important because that's the mechanism by which we are to grow in grace. That's the mechanism by which we are to be sanctified, to be more like Christ, conformed to the image of his dear son, the Bible says. Now, not in order to be saved from hell, because that's not possible. I'm not doing good works to be saved. I'm doing good works. I am to do good works because I'm saved. There's a big difference there. I can't earn God's favor to get to heaven, but now that I'm saved by his mercy, by his grace, by the blood of Christ, by faith in Christ, all that... Now, the growth process is determined by how much I allow God to have his way in my life. I'm created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now, when I do that, not because I'm saved, I'm to walk in preordained good works, but when when I walk in those preordained good works, God's grace and construction project in my life kicks into high gear. That's what I want to leave with you this morning. What is it, or why is it that some Christians grow quickly and others do not? Why does it seem that some folks have been saved for decades and seem to have their spiritual growth stunted? Why is it that somebody gets saved and man, he's on fire for God and, and uh, he's, he's, boy, he's ready to charge hell with a squirt gun and, and he's growing in grace and he's growing rapidly and it seems like he can't get enough of the scriptures and he's faithful to every service and he just grows, he grows quickly. And then others, 
have been saved for many, many years and have stagnated in their growth. You say, Pastor, what's the difference? Maybe it's because we're not following God's recipe. Maybe we're not putting in the ingredients that should be there. I'm simply saying sanctification is a work of God's grace in us, but only after we humble ourselves to follow his recipe. What is that? He said, walk in good works. He said, uh, you're, uh, you're his workmanship created in God in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that ye should walk in them. Let me ask you a question this morning. I know we're short on time. Are we walking in those good works? Are we walking in those preordained good works? You say, preacher, what are those good works? The good work of obedience. The good work of obedience. You know, it's not complicated. If you're, if you're rebelling against God in your life, you're not growing. If you're rebelling against spiritual authorities in your life, you're not growing. If you're rebelling against the, the revealed will of God and His Word, you're not growing. You're not being, you're not, you're not, you, you have stunted that process of sanctification you're not becoming more like christ if you're living in disobedience to the father's will because what did jesus do while he was here on the earth he said i came to do my father's will (laughs) and so if i'm going to live like christ if i'm going to be conformed to the, the image of his son i cannot do that outside of submission to the will of god as given in the word of god walking good works what does it mean the good work of serving others the good work of praise, the good work of prayer, the good work of giving, the good work of forgiving. Hey, all these are good works that God has said, I have preordained that you walk in those works, not, not, be, not to be saved, mind you, but because you belong to me, because I'm trying to move you along in that process of sanctification to get you to a point where you are closely resembling the image of my son Jesus Christ that's what's why so that you can glorify the father so that men can see your good works and say hey there is a God in heaven and I see that look you understand something there are many people who will never darken the doorways of a church you may be the only sermon that somebody hears this week your life your testimony your walk with God your speech your attitude It may be the only sermon that somebody sees, but what a powerful sermon it could be if we yield ourselves to the Father. What a powerful message it could be if we decided that we were going to live a wholly separated life that was well-pleasing to the Father. It all starts with salvation. His way continues with sanctification. Let me ask you a question, and we're done this morning. Have you let God have His way in your life by receiving Christ? Two groups of people in here, saved and lost. Have you, and I'm talking to you specifically, I'm not talking about the person next to you, the person beside you, the person behind you. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you let God have His way in your eternal destiny by receiving Christ, His only begotten Son, as your only way of heaven? If the answer to that is yes, let me ask you this. Are you an obedient Christian? Or are you a rebellious child of God? Our level of growth will be determined by our obedience to His will. When I stop obeying the revealed will of God, the sanctification process stops dead in its tracks until I get to a place of submission. Let me ask you a question very simply this morning. We are His construction project. If progress seems to have come to a halt in God's workmanship in your life, let me ask you a question. Who's at fault? Who's at fault? You know, I sat in that traffic jam the other day on I-94, and I thought, what is this? What, I mean, how, how hard is this? Why can't we just move things through there? 
<clears throat> I didn't have a whole lot of patience. Wait a minute. God is very patient with us to accomplish his work in our lives. But if his work is not being accomplished in my life, I've got nobody to blame but me. You understand what I'm saying? I've got no one to blame but myself. Why? Because God, God wants me to grow. God wants me to be conformed to the image of his son. And the only thing that prohibits that is my lack of obedience, my lack of submission to his will. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. God's construction project.